Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. We know Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I want to throw that out there because oftentimes we like to disqualify ourselves from service, from ministry. Because what? Because we don't have the proper training or background, education. Education's good. It's helpful, but it's not essential. It's not essential to serve Jesus. It's not essential to serve other people. There's benefits to it, absolutely. But don't disqualify yourself because you may not have the proper training. What are the essential things you need to serve Jesus? They're more accessible than what you maybe think. In today's message, Pastor James teaches that one of the essential requirements to serve Jesus is a heart for Jesus, a willing and open heart that is willing to follow where the Lord directs them to go. Pastor James encourages us that if the Lord has called you to whatever mission He has for you, He's going to equip you for it. Don't let the fears of not having enough training disqualify you from serving the Lord. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. get into the first Peter. This is a crazy book. I've been giving you guys a heads up about this. If you've ever experienced any certain amount of suffering or trials or whatever in your walk with Jesus, then first Peter is your book, okay? And I think that would apply to all of us. If you've been walking with Jesus for any certain amount of time, I think you've experienced difficulties in that relationship with him. If you haven't, that means that you just got saved and just give it time and the storms will come, okay? I know that's not the popular preaching of our day, but that's the honest preaching of our day. Following Jesus is a commitment. Come difficulties or smooth sailing, following Jesus is, it's a commitment. Like you are all in, you're all in. And I'm gonna tell you, when you're all in for Jesus, the difficulties will come, okay? So if you're experiencing hardship because you're like, I just want to follow Jesus more. I just want to be all in for him. And trials have shown up in your life. You're doing nothing wrong, probably everything right, okay? Unless you're sinning, then that's another issue. We can talk about that later. But just following Jesus, he told us, he told his disciples, in this world, you will have tribulations. You will have trials. You will have difficulties, but we're going to be okay. First Peter is all about that. If you look at three main guys from the New Testament, excluding Jesus because he's the best out of all of them for sure. But if you look at like the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul would be considered the apostle of faith. A lot of his writings dealt with the subject matter of faith. So he's been deemed or given the title like the apostle of faith. And his writings are beautiful and sometimes difficult to comprehend at times, but they're fun to read through and study through. In fact, at the beginning of this coming year, we're going to jump into the book of Romans, okay? And I believe uh, by faith that book, us going through that book, is actually going to radically change this church. Not that anything's wrong with this church, but there's something that happens when you go just systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Romans, and it changes church fellowships for the good, okay? Paul, the apostle of faith. You have John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
He's been deemed the title, the apostle of love, right? He would have fit in in the 60s, wouldn't he have? Like, that would have been the guy, right? Apostle of love. And, and his writings are just, are that, you read the Gospel of John, you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you read the book of Revelation, which the Holy Spirit used him to write. He's the apostle of love. But then you have Peter, and Peter's been given this title, the apostle of hope, of hope. And I love that. I mean, I love it so much. I have hope tattooed on my arm. Hope still remains because of guys like Peter, because I can relate to Peter. I know what it's like to like talk too much to Jesus and try to correct Jesus and argue with Jesus and do all those things and then be rebuked by Jesus, right? I can relate to Peter a whole lot, but I love that he's been given this title. And this whole book of 1 Peter is, it's not necessarily about suffering. It's about hope you will experience suffering if you follow Christ. But the, the good news is, is that we have hope to overcome whatever may come in this life. And so let me just give you a little bit of background concerning Peter. I, I had tremendous amounts of ambition in, in approaching this book. I'll let you know that right away. My first thought was like, I'm going to teach through First and Second Peter before the year's out. And then I started digging into it. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. I'm going to teach through First Peter one chapter per week, and that's good. And then you start digging in a little bit more, and you're like, well, that's not going to happen. And then I'm like, okay, chapter one, I'll cover these first 12 verses and all that good stuff. And then as Sunday's approaching, I'm like, that's not going to happen. Good grief. Like, we're going to be lucky if we cover the first two verses, honestly. But there's just so much richness in the book of First Peter. But I think before we can appreciate it in all its beauty, we need to understand the man that God used to write this book. Now, please understand, this is God-breathed, okay? But he did use Peter, who actually used a buddy of his to actually physically pen this letter. But the words came to Peter by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to just remind us of who we're talking about. We just finished the Gospel of Mark, and Peter is a pretty prominent figure throughout the Gospel of Mark. He wrote that. Well, Mark wrote it, but he had Peter there, I believe, on, as his counterpart to help him write that, that book. And what we know of Peter is he's a fisherman. He's a fisherman. He's a fisherman from the Galilee region in Israel, okay? What you would need to understand about that is these guys, you know, they live their lives on the boat, casting nets, mending nets, pulling in fish. I mean, that's their life. That was his probably, probably a family business that he had. He was married. His wife participated, as far as we know, with him throughout his ministry, but there's this, this idea concerning fishermen from the Galilee region that they're not educated, okay? So there's one big issue, and it's really not an issue at all with people who think like, well, Peter didn't write this book because there's no way a fisherman could write so eloquently, which I think is unfortunate when we begin to judge people based on where they come from or what they do. So what if he didn't have the rabbinical training? He didn't need it. He spent three years in Bible college with Jesus. That's good enough. We couldn't write in Greek like this. Well, who's to say he couldn't? And again, remember, he's got a buddy who's helping him write this letter, okay? But that's one of the biggest issues was like, there's no way, a, and I'm going to use this word. They, critics may not use this word, but this is what I get out of it. There's no way a dumb fisherman could write such a beautiful book. And then I would say, well, we know Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
I want to throw that out there because oftentimes we like to disqualify ourselves from service, from ministry. Because what? Because we don't have the proper training or background, education. Education's good. It's helpful, but it's not essential. It's not essential to serve Jesus. It's not essential to serve other people. There's benefits to it, absolutely. But don't disqualify yourself because you may not have the proper training. And if that's such a big deal to you, then get the proper training. How serious are you about serving? Do the hard work, if that's what it takes. We are part of the Calvary Chapel families, as messy as they are, right? And they are messy. Make no mistake about it. There's, there's messes in all sorts of... Get, some would say Calvary Chapel is not a denomination. That's kind of halfway true. But in all denominations, you always have issues within there. But what we know, when Chuck Smith and Kay Smith, his wife, were in California, Southern California, and this hippie movement is going off, they went against the grain and started ministering to hippies. Okay? I don't know if any of you were there. Maybe you were there. You're like, hey, man, that's me. Praise God you're here. Praise God you're still around. But they went against the grain. They went against what was normal and what was, and they were inviting these, these kids in and they're, and they're messing up their carpet and they're doing, you know, all this stuff, right? This isn't how we do church. Well, this is how we do church now. And then some of these hippies are getting saved. And, some of the, and the Lord is calling these guys out to go start these home churches, home fellowships here and there. No formal education other than sitting at the feet of a pastor who just faithfully shows up multiple times throughout the week to preach the word of God, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And, and they, that, I mean, this was their course book, was the Bible. And they took that in and not only did they read it, not only did they study it, they sought to apply it. And as they were doing that, the Lord was commissioning them to go and to do these works. And so you have guys like Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie started out with Chuck. Greg Laurie was one of Chuck's interns answering phones, doing his little illustrations and all that good stuff. And if you don't know Greg's story, I'd encourage you, listen to his testimony. He's got a book out that shares his family background and all that stuff. But God used him to do an incredible work there in Riverside. Amazing. You got guys like Skip Heitzig who's in Albuquerque, and he came out of Chuck's church. And Skip's a, a brilliant man. He was actually studying medical and all that good stuff. He was in the medical field, right? But you read his, his testimony, and he's dabbling in all this and that, and God used him with his giftings and all that stuff and to do a tremendous work in Albuquerque. And the list goes on and on of these different guys with different backgrounds. Some have college degrees, some do not, and none of it really matters all that much. The thing that matters the most was they were willing and available to be used by God. All of us, if you're a Christ follower, are qualified to serve the Lord. You have no right to disqualify yourself in one sense. Now, if you're, if, if you're not saved, you got to get saved, right? You need to be born again. We're going to be talking about that throughout the book of 1 Peter. And if there's sin, then, then we deal with sin, okay? We don't hide from sin at all in this church, okay? We don't, we're not afraid to say that word in this church. And I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners, and he died for sinners, okay? That's how this thing works. Now, if you're living a lifestyle that is like continual habitual sin towards him or against him, then you got to stop because you are disqualifying yourself from ministry, okay? So we stop that, we repent, we turn to him, and we say, here I am, send me, Lord. Here I am, send me. Moses tried to disqualify himself because he couldn't speak. He had a speech impediment. He couldn't speak. And God's like, well, 
oh, don't worry about it. Aaron's on his way here now. I'll speak through Aaron. Well, I'm going to give you the word, and you tell Aaron, and Aaron's going to tell everybody else. God is not hindered by your hangups or whatever, whatever you might be thinking will disqualify you. The prophet Jeremiah tried to disqualify himself. I'm too young. God's like, get to work. Get to work. I don't want to hear it. Okay, I don't need your excuses. I want to use you. Are you available? You're, you're a vessel within the house of God. Are you ready? Are you available? But I don't have, do you have him? Does the Holy Spirit reside inside of you? If that's true of you, then you are more than qualified. Let's just figure out where that, what that looks like for you. For Peter, a fisherman, growing up around the Sea of Galilee, and then one day this guy Jesus is cruising around in Galilee, and Peter's brother Andrew meets Jesus. And then he rushes to his big brother Peter, and he's like, we found him. We found the Messiah. You have to come and meet him. I love that about Andrew. Andrew was always doing that. He did that with his brother Peter. He did that with some Greeks later on. He's like, we got we to gotta bring you to Jesus. That was just who he was. Peter meets Jesus. Peter is called by Jesus. He becomes one of the 12, and not just one of the 12, but one of the top three of the 12. He got to see Jesus transfigured on the mountain. He was there in the garden with Jesus further in than some of the other ones. Him and the other two were in a little bit further into the garden as Jesus is praying, God, let this cut pass from me. But if not, may your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Peter was right there for that. Fisherman who speaks before he thinks, probably pretty rough around the edges. And God's like, you're perfect. You're perfect. You're exactly who I want to use. You're exactly who I want to use to not just to save thousands, because he did that. God used Peter to save thousands of people. But he also wanted to use Peter to break down this wall that had been constructed, not just by the Jews. Look, the Jews and the Gentiles were both guilty of building up this wall of separation. And God used Peter to obliterate that wall in the book of Acts. Peter's an amazing guy, but Peter's just a normal guy. He's just normal. He's not the first pope, I'll tell you that. Um, I don't know if you think that or whatever, but that's false. But he was a man who was willing to be used by God, and sometimes he tripped up along the way. And God was right there. I'm using the term God. Jesus was right there to pick him up. He denied Christ three times. We saw that in the Gospel of Mark. Flat out denied Jesus. Flat out, and like to the point of like, may God bring down a curse upon me if I know that man. This is in like the last like moments as Jesus is going to be delivered and, and then crucified. And then Jesus shows up, to, you know, three days later. That's the, the amazing deal with that story. He shows up three days later. He meets them. He sees them. It meets with them in Jerusalem. Yes. But then they meet in Galilee, the Galilee region. And as the disciples are up there and they're just waiting for Jesus, Peter's like, I'm just going to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to what I know. Not that he's abandoning Christ at all, but he's just like, I need to go fishing. We get that sometimes, right? You got a hobby? Sometimes you're like, I just need to go do this thing, right? Peter, it's, he's, he's got to go fishing. And then Jesus showed up and he's like, you're doing it wrong to experience fishermen. He's like, throw the net on the other side. They did. It's full of fish. And Peter's like, well, one of the other disciples is like, that's Jesus. Peter's like, 
you know, disrobes kind of, so to speak, and like dives in, swims about 100 yards to the shore because he's going to get to Jesus. An experienced fisherman just had one of the greatest hauls of his life, said, you guys keep the fish. I'm going to Jesus. This is after he rejected Jesus. This is after he denied Jesus three times. But what he understood was, that's the man I want to follow for the rest of my life. That's the man I'm committed to forever. I've been with him for these three years. Who else? You're the Messiah. Who else? Where else are we going to go? And he meets with Jesus. And Jesus meets with Peter on that shore. And he has a heart to heart with Peter. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. You know, essentially is what Jesus was saying three times to communicate to Peter like, I know you denied me three times, just like I told you you were going to. But Peter, I'm going to affirm for you this commission I have for you three times. Peter, I need you to step up. I need you to be a leader. And that moment forever changed Peter's life. He goes on, and we know from the book of Acts, when they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. And then outsiders, people outside the room are like, what in the world is going on in there? And it was Peter who stood up and talked to them. He said, let me explain what's going on. And then he gives them the message. He gives them the gospel, and thousands of those guys get saved. Totally transformed person. And when you look at the chronology of, of Peter's life and just following Jesus, the ups and the downs. Jesus, how many times do we actually have to forgive somebody? Like, that was Peter who asked that question, right? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe concerning somebody. You're like, Lord, how many times do I got to put up with this person? How many times? And Jesus like, he's like, seven times? That's pretty generous, right? And he's like, no, 70 times seven. Like, Peter, just don't stop forgiving, right? Different journey song, right? Like, don't stop believing, don't stop forgiving. <laughs> they didn't write that. Anyways, but this is who we're dealing with with this letter. And then the years go on, and we see throughout the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, you know, there's that beautiful story with Cornelius and his house and then the Gentiles and all this beautiful stuff that happens there. And then Peter gets, he gets arrested and then is released from jail. And then he kind of disappears for a little bit. Nobody knows where he goes. He shows back up in Acts chapter 15 at the council. But then really the story shifts from, you know, after 12 to the, to the apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. So we're like, well, where did Peter go? There's thoughts that maybe he was visiting these churches he's writing to in 1 Peter. But he can't really be dogmatic on that. The thing that most impresses me concerning Peter is the maturity that has happened from the Gospels through the book of Acts to this letter that was written not too long before he dies. Church history lets us know that he more than likely was crucified, but upside down, okay? Because he's like, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Jesus. So they crucified him upside down, which I don't even know how that works. Point is, he lost his life for following Jesus. This letter that he writes to these churches within this specific area, they are not yet experiencing the persecution that would quickly show up, but they were experiencing levels of persecution. And here is Peter, the man who has grown so much in his relationship with the Lord Jesus, and he uses words like precious all throughout this book. Fishermen from Galilee, rough fishermen. They don't use the word precious. They don't know what that, I'm, I'm sure that I've never even heard of precious until I saw Lord of the Rings, right? I'm like, that's, I don't even know that word existed. Like what? I don't call anybody precious. Peter's like, you read through the book of First Peter and you're just like, this is a different guy. He's the same guy, but man, you could tell that the, the Holy Spirit has been doing a work in and through this man. 
And here he is, a fisherman from Galilee, and the Lord uses him to write this letter. The Lord used him tremendously to start the church. And by all accounts, most people would disqualify him because he's just not the right guy. He doesn't have the pedigree. But the Lord's like, you're perfect. You're perfect. All that to say, just make yourself available to the Lord. You have no right to disqualify yourself. I don't know enough. You probably know something. You can probably minister and reach more people than what you think, than what you think. So timeline-wise, this is happening right before uh, you had a madman running Rome at this point in time. And not too long after this letter, when this was written, he's going to lose his mind even more. So I think he's demonically possessed, technically, but he's going to like set fire to Rome. He's going to set fire to Rome because, well, he there's parts of Rome that like, he wants to rebuild to reflect himself. Okay, you got a Colosseum that seats 100,000. No, no, it needs to be bigger. It needs to be 300,000. So we need to do some games there, which would ultimately lead to killing of Christians as a sport. So he sets fire to this place, but he needs a scapegoat. And the scapegoat is going to be these Christians because they're weird people anyways, right? They're not for us. They're refusing to join the military because they won't pledge their allegiance to Nero as God. And then they're doing weird things. They're like, they're cannibals. They're cannibals because they're eating somebody's flesh and drinking his blood, communion. So these are the rumors that were circulating in Rome at that time. And there were other complaints that they had against the Christians. And Christians were about morality and purity. And that went against the Roman way. So now the, the Christians are the enemies of the state because they're pro-holiness, pro-purity, pro-morality, and their government set them up as this is the enemy. These are the ones we're fighting against. Sounds pretty similar to where the day and age in which we live. And I'll tell you, we might be moving closer to that than what we realize. Not to scare anybody away, because Peter's writing to a group of people who are, they're facing local bits of persecution within the cities and communities in which they live, but it will be, it'll be, I'm going to use the term global, not too long. I mean, we're talking months after this letter would have been written and delivered to the believers there. The government was like, we can't have these Christians. They're ruining everything. They're messing everything up. The Christians are the enemy. It's fascinating. It's interesting how that works. Even within our wonderful nation, in God we trust kind of nation, who's the enemy? Well, Christians, if you're a Christian, then you are the enemy, okay? Which is crazy. We live in a topsy-turvy world. It's so weird. It's so upside down, but maybe it's exactly how God said it was going to be. And we don't lose heart. We don't fear that, or we don't get discouraged at all, because First Peter really just kind of applies to us as well. So you got, that's the time. That, that's what these people were dealing with. There's a lot of persecution that is happening, but they haven't even experienced the extent of it. Not too long after this letter gets delivered to them, somewhere around 6 million Christians are slaughtered, okay? You don't hear much about that, do you? No. Why? Well, because Christians have always been the problem. So th- this is the reality that they were living in, and that was really at their doorstep. And so Peter through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, delivers this letter in just 
the right time. In the book of 1 Peter, you hear a lot about suffering. Our own suffering is something that we have to work through. And Peter reminds us that Jesus suffered too. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. A few verses later it says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. What Peter's getting at in these verses is that as a Christian, you're going to suffer persecution. But Jesus wasn't exempt from suffering either. In fact, he was treated worse than anyone, although he was without sin. Imagine being completely guiltless, faultless, sinless. It just seems so wrong for Jesus to have been falsely accused the way he was. May you find strength and courage in the fact that Jesus suffered at the hands of brutal and mean-spirited men. He knows what you're going through right now, and you can turn to Jesus for comfort and help. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle here on Bread for the Broken. If you'd like to hear additional messages like this one, go to breadforthebroken.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's teaching here in the book of 1 Peter. We'll be back next time with more as the Apostle Peter speaks some encouraging words that our souls will want to hear. So come back again next time to Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.